That Hebrews chapter 11 is a long litany of those in faith. We read verses 1 through 38 this morning. And uh, for those who are going to be listening to it later, or you're sharing it with someone, I did not put the reading in the recording just now. And uh, they can thank me later. That is a long reading from chapter 11. But I, I want to um, draw your mind to a story I shared a couple of weeks ago about a detour I made to Five Star. The story has more to it now. I want to share with you what happened because sometimes we forget that we are people of faith. Sometimes in a moment, whatever that moment might be, fear, anger, um, desperation, we forget who we belong to. And so this man that I had led to Christ that Saturday morning was uh, in a situation where he had to make a choice. And he had to make a choice either to do what he wanted or to help somebody else and help that person become stronger in their faith. And he said, I don't have time for you. I have some other things I want to do. Let's go. And, and I was upset about that. And I meant to talk to him about it. And, and, and I hadn't seen him for a couple weeks, so I was planning my conversation. Do you ever do that? Kind of like, well, you know, you did this, and you did that, and you should have done this, you should have... Especially like when I'm trying to correct my children, or um, trying to correct behavior or something, or working with someone who's trying to change their life. And I realized as I was beginning to think about it, that God kept me away from Him for a couple of weeks so that I could uh, temper my response a little bit. Because I had this long spiel put out, and then I began to think. You know, there was a time in my life, shortly after I received Jesus, that I had made a mistake. And I was treated kindly, not harshly. And so, when I got a chance to speak to this man this week, I walked up to him and I said, i got to tell you about something the other day. And he goes, I know. I know. And I said, you know, it's really tough when you begin to live for Jesus because what you want doesn't matter anymore. It's what He wants. And serving others and loving others comes first. And he said, I'm having trouble with it. And I said, I see that. But let me tell you what. I'm going to help you. And I'm going to help you as best I can. And I'm going to give you some ideas on how you can begin to implement that. And he looked at me and he said, I would really, really appreciate that. And my whole spiel at the beginning was to say, you're a man of faith, you ought to have faith and act like a man of God. And he's only been a believer for two weeks. Come on now. Wasn't that a little harsh in my head? Aren't you glad God tempered it? We need that. Think of it like this. And this is from history, and I'm going to pull this out. Um, and someone in our midst may know the story better than I do, but World War II, some of the worst air raids in history from Germany to Britain. They wanted to wear out Britain to bring it to its knees and they were relentless. Over and over. Air raid after air raid. Against this relentless enemy, what do you do? They just keep coming. Day and night. Air raid after air raid. And um, there was a man named William, or excuse me, Winston Churchill. 
He tried to find a way to keep the people calm and going on. And, and he began to compliment the people on their uh, spirit of bravery and courage. And after a while, the Aryans just became a normal part of their life. But they came up with this saying, and it became popular. They tried a few different ones, but this is the one that's still around today, and that's this. Keep calm and never, ever, ever give up. Keep calm and carry on, is what it says. Keep calm and carry on. And he said to them, never, ever, ever, ever give up. That's how you do it. The enemy may be relentless, but you be relentless too. It's hard to do to be relentless and keep calm, carry on and not give up if you believe you're alone in the battle. Would you agree? It's tough to face things alone. Especially if you feel that way. Well, this morning I want to ask you, how strong is your faith today? Have you been through trials to know whether or not it's a tested faith? You see, an unproved and untested faith isn't worth much because it hasn't been shown to have strength yet. Our faith must be tested to be authentic. Have you faced any trials? Have you had any situations where you needed to just hang on? My first test of faith was when I was in high school, and it was, you know, it was, it was huge. It was huge. We were going to have a car wash, and they wanted to call it off. And I said, have faith. God's going to clear the sky. And they called it off, and it was a crisis for me. Our youth group didn't get to have their car wash, and I really wanted to be there and do that. My next test of faith, I guess you might say, was in college. And you would think that um, maybe this test of faith would be uh, very minuscule, but for me it was big. On one particular day, early in my freshman year, I realized I didn't have my books for class, and I didn't have but two cents to my name. And I was panicky, and I started to cry. Yes, I was uh, 18 years old, crying in my dorm room, and my roommate walks in and says, what's wrong? I said, I can't afford my books, I can't afford to go to, what am I supposed to do? i got to quit school, or what am I going to do? And you know, just all this panic. He said, you pray about it? I said, no, but I'm going to. So I, I started praying and I got done praying. He said, did you get a book slip, by the way? And I went, I don't know what a book slip is. He said, well, it's a, it's a slip that they give you that you can go to the bookstore and get your books from financial aid. And I went, a book slip. He goes, yeah. I said, how much do they give you? I said, how much do you need for your books and other supplies? And he said, go up to financial aid and get one. They're supposed to tell you these things. So I went up there and God worked it out within minutes. But I had a crisis of faith. Now, looking back, I go, oh, that's so small. But if I had never had a faith that was tested or proved and that was the first thing I faced, which it was, it was huge. Your faith is going to get bigger and bigger trials because the old ones, it's gone through. It's getting stronger. You're not so much worried whether the girl next door or the boy next to you in school is going to check yes or no on the box now. But that's your crisis then. Well, some of us may still be worried about that. 
whether they like us or not. But I will say this, the crisis of faith has to happen. You see, faith can move mountains. Jesus said, if you have faith as much as a grain of mustard seed, you can say this mountain move and it will be cast into the sea. Have you experienced a mountain move in your life? Have you seen or experienced a faith that big, that strong? Or is the idea that a mountain can move still just an idea that Jesus said that, you know, He just being metaphorical? <laughs> I've heard a lot of preachers say that. You know, He's metaphorical here. He's not metaphorical. Jesus doesn't speak in metaphors all the time. If your faith in God is big enough, a mountain is not too hard for God to move. It's hard for us to move because it's bigger than us. But it's not bigger than the God that made them. This is what faith says. If, if God made it, He can move it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Is your faith in anything? Or have you lost the ability to believe? Do you believe in miracles? Do you still? I do. Have you lost your ability to believe in God? Have you lost your ability to believe there's hope? Or hope for a better life? Do you believe there still can be? In this crazy world, do you, do you, have you lost hope for the future? Have you lost hope that your children's future could be better than yours? Most people have. Have you lost hope for a better world? Chapter 11 gives us the clues on all these things. It talks about heroes of the faith. It tells what they endured, but not what they received. Because none of them received what they hoped for. That's the last two verses I didn't read. It says none of them got what they wanted and hoped for. They had to do it with us. It tells us the world was not enough for them. In the translation I read, it says the world wasn't worthy of them. wasn't good enough for them. The world was not their goal. Their goal was to please God and to welcome Jesus from a distance. And this morning I want to talk about faith for you. And I believe there are four qualities of a strong faith. Now the first one comes from verse 6, and it's your faith must believe the hope that God has given. Your faith must believe the hope that God has given. A pastor one time said, faith hopes in order to discover what it believes. And when he shared it in a sermon, he repeated it. And he said, I don't think you want to hear that, so let me say it again. Faith hopes in order to discover what it believes. I've never forgotten that. Because he said I didn't want to hear it, so I wanted to hear it. <laughs> Sometimes we need to hear things twice to keep them. In verse 6 it says that faith, without it, it is impossible to please God 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So your faith must believe the hope God has given, that he will reward you if you seek him, because he's a God who rewards those who do. The second quality of faith is your faith must see beyond itself. Beyond itself to the promises of God which are sometimes veiled, hard to see, hidden in storms. And it so happens in verses 8 and 10, it talks about that. It says, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. For he waited for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, I don't know about you, but in Genesis chapter 12, where Abraham is told by God to leave Ur and the land of his father and go to a place in which he will show him, Abraham didn't argue, he just loaded up the cattle and the family and left. But I have to wonder the conversation that he had with Sarai at the time and Abram how that went. Abraham comes in with this excited idea. He may have been bipolar or had these crazy ideas before and his wife's going, oh, what's he got up his sleeve this time? <laughs> Honey, I just heard you God. I'm sure he did. <laughs> sure he did. Yeah. Oh, what did he say this time? Well, we're loading up the farm. And we're leaving. When? Tomorrow. Where are we going? I don't know. How long is it going to take? I don't know. How do you know when we get there? God tell me. You know what she does? She says, You're crazy, but you're my husband. Let's load. Go. I think the conversation didn't go the next morning she was willing. I think it took some time for him to say goodbye to everybody. But he left, it says, not knowing where he was going, how long it would take, or how he would even know when he got there. This is the promise that God says, I will show you. But we want to know. God, I want to see this now where I'm going so I know the destination. When we go somewhere, we have GPS that tells us where we are and where we're going. God's GPS, His godly positioning system, says, I know where you're at and where you're going. You just know where you're at. <laughs> it's like a compass. You can tell the direction you're headed, but it doesn't tell you where you're going. That godly positioning system that He has for you is a compass. He knows where you are, so do you, but He knows where you're going and you don't. Faith has to see beyond yourself to trust that God has the hope for you there. That He has the plan ahead. He knows what's going on. And it's not always easy, is it? Because sometimes those things are veiled to us. The reason we sang, My hope is built, and we're going to sing it a little slower later as a close, is because of that second verse that says, When darkness hides His lovely face, I rest on His unchanging grace. When my what's high, when stormy winds, when winds is, I can't think of it right now. When the highest winds and storms assail, my anchor holds in the veil. Mm -hmm. Me, I've got a rope 
And I can't see what's on the other side where God is, but I know He's there, so I'm going to follow Him and let Him take me where He's going. But I can't see it, so faith has to see beyond circumstance to where God is taking us. It's a conviction of things not seen. It's a conviction, not of knowing, but a conviction which is from your heart. It's not an idea. It's knowing that God knows and that's enough for your heart. But your head wants to figure it out. It gets in the way. Tell all those voices that say, but i got to know, to be quiet. To be calm and carry on and never, ever, ever give up. Keep going. God is there. We need to hear that over and over and over. The third quality of a strong faith is your faith must have endured the storms of doubt and uncertainty. And that's in verse 7. It says, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark in a desert, in a dry, arid ground, for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. And we go, well, if I was Noah, I'd have kept doing it too. But are you going to build an ark in the middle of the Sahara Desert when everybody else won't help you? Are you going to have faith alone? Is your faith going to endure the storms of doubt and uncertainty that the people around you who say they care about you say you're crazy for believing that? That God won't save you. This ark is pointless. Sure, live in it, but you're living in it in a desert. And now you want to put animals in it. You want to save the animals. I wonder what kind of names he got. I do not believe that when Noah gathered the animals for the ark, that he did it in a single day. I think in the span of 120 years, he had to learn how to care for all of them. What they needed. And what kind of animals. He didn't just wake up, God told me to build an ark, put all the animals on it, and save them, my family. Um, let's see. Alright, so I need 100 bales of this, 600 bales of this, 500 loaves of, uh, of corn or ears of corn for this animal. I don't think he did any of that. It wasn't like plot there it is in his head. He had work. And he had to be diligent about it for 120 actual years when nobody else said it was worthwhile. That is a faith that endures a crisis. <laughs> a storm of doubt and uncertainty. Because I'm sure in those 120 years without rain that it didn't make much sense to many people. So how strong is your faith today? You won't know how strong it is today unless you had to endure a storm yesterday. You only have an idea of what you think you can endure until you've endured something. I can think of stuff in my past where I look back and I go, I don't know how I made it through that. I, I, that's impossible. I couldn't do that again. There's no way. But I did. First time. Don't know how. But God did. Because without God, it was impossible in all those situations. And that gets us to the fourth quality of a strong faith, and this is the one I don't like. Your faith must face a crisis. 
Oh, I don't know about you, but I don't like crises. But listen to verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, the son of the promise. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. It was faith that made him do that. That's insanity. Unless God tells you to do it, that's insane. You don't offer your child as a sacrifice for anything unless God tells you to. You just don't do that. But faith says God knows what He's doing. I don't. And I know God knows because my heart says God's never wrong. I'm not suggesting that you should ask God for a crisis. You don't need to ask Him for a crisis to strengthen your face. It'll happen on its own accord. You live long enough, you're going to face some crisis. More than one most likely. And I'm saying you must know now and settle in your heart that giving up on God and His promises is not an option for you. No matter how bleak or how rough it looks. I've been at the end of my own rope many times. Of course, God's rope stretched longer. I just couldn't see it. But I was at the end of mine. And God's never been at the end of His rope. Don't ever forget, God's not got a crisis. We do. He knows what's going on and He knows what He's going to do already. He knows how the story ends. And how to get it to the ending that He wants. He knows how to do that. He even says in Scripture that God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that today? Right now? That God can work this all for good, whatever it is. The storms in our life can become hurricane force. And a fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can rage seven times hotter by the enemy, by the opposition. But God, it says, is in the wind. And He's Lord of the wind and the waves. And He was in the fire before, during, and after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were cast in. So step in. God's waiting there. Don't be afraid of the crisis or the storm, or the fire. Know that God is already there waiting for you, trusting and knowing that you can endure if you will let Him help you. Listen to this. God is in the future you fear and the past you regret. God is in the situations you dread and the ones you'd rather forget. If you ever get questioning your faith, or God's ability. I invite you to read chapter 11 in Hebrews. Pick your translation. I, I, I stumbled on it in the Good News Bible right before the second semester of my sophomore year in college. Someone said, it's the faith chapter. You ought to read it. I was still young in Christianity. And I read it. And I read it again. And again and again that day in January of 1984. And I wept before God saying, it was faith. Here it is. Here it is. Listen to this. This is what I read. 
It was faith that made Abel. It was faith that made Noah. It was faith that made Abraham. It was faith that made Isaac. It was faith that made Jacob. It was faith that made Joseph. It was faith that made the parents of Moses. It was faith that made Moses. It was faith that made the Israelites able to cross the Red Sea. It was faith that made the walls of Jericho fall down. It was faith that kept the prostitute Rahab from being killed. It was faith. It was faith. It was faith. It was faith that made. It was faith that makes it happen then and today. He's not done with us. Faith is still present. He even says there, I don't have time to tell you of all the rest of them that faith made them do. Faith is our response to God's personal revelation of Himself to you in Jesus Christ. It's how you respond to God is by faith. It's faith when God says it, you say, I'm doing it. Faith isn't always comfortable. There is going to be a crisis, but your faith can get you through. If your faith is in the promises and presence of God. What is faith making you do today? Is your faith questioning itself? Are you questioning your own faith? I'm not Winston Churchill. Did you? I, I just want to make sure you knew that. And there's a reason I want you to know that. Because I'm telling you something from my heart to you. <coughs> One day the enemy is going to get really relentless in your life. Through your own thoughts, emotions, some of us like me face anxiety or depression, and it can be overwhelming. It can be so overwhelming that I can forget that I'm a man of faith. Oh, I know I belong to God and I can pray, but I keep forgetting about faith. And this other stuff gets me off track from being faith-based. And it seems like every time I turn around in those situations, something else keeps piling on and piling on till I'm just buried. And I needed to read this chapter this week to remind me. And it occurred to me that that which I shared with the man who just gave his life to Christ was that as a person of faith, we just need a reminder of who we are, where we belong, what God can do, and we just need to hang on a little longer. Now, I'm not Winston Churchill telling you there's an uh, air raid about to happen, but I am telling you there are attacks of the enemy at all times. And the enemy is relentless. He's always seeking someone to devour, roaring like a lion. Always. tempts you to believe that God can't do anything or that God isn't going to. It tempts you to believe that the promises of God are for later and not for now. It tempts you to believe that you're alone in this when the enemy keeps the same and saying, nobody else understands. It's not true. God does. And He'll bring people into your life who do understand what you're going through. And He will bring support from places you don't know because God's resources are unlimited. And we just keep forgetting that. 
Think of all the things that entered in this chapter alone that were talked about. The walls of Jericho. You can't beat that. All they did was trust in that God would do what He said and praise Him. And the walls fell. They didn't go, let's get some buckets and bail out the Red Sea. They said, Moses, do something. Moses said, no, let's let God do something. <laughs> That's who we trust. Sometimes we've got to get to the place that all that is left is for something God can do because we have no options. And God does it. Why do we keep having to go that far and remember that we trust in God? I think God sometimes gives us that crisis to remind us that we are people of faith. So what Winston Churchill said to England, I say to you today, we will get through this. We will carry on. So keep calm in the midst of the storm and know that you have a God who loves you, a community with you, and friends who love you, and family who support you here. And people who pray for you and a pastor prays for you and knows what you may not know God can do, but that which God will show you His deliverance. I love, love, love that phrase that Moses tells the Israelites before the Red Sea parts. Before the Red Sea parts. While they're in crisis and afraid. He says, I tell you the truth, that from this day forward for the rest of your life, this is the last time you will ever see an Egyptian. For you will see the strong arm of God's salvation today. Trust Him. This is what Moses said to the Israelites. It's the same kind of message Winston Churchill said to England. It's the same kind of message I'm offering you today. That God hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't overlooked you. He knows what you're going through. And He cares. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And all He says is, never, ever, ever give up on me. I'm not giving up on you. And me, I'm not giving up on you. I love each and every one of you. And I'm so thankful to know you. And I'm here for you. And I'll go through with you if you let me. And I'm not the only one in the room who'll do that. We do it together. We've learned that as a family. That's why I love this family here, our church. And sometimes our strong faith is stronger than someone believes with us. So faith is a conviction of the things you hope for. The evidence of things not seen. And I'm asking you today, very simply, one last question. That faith never, ever, ever gives up on God. But what does faith make you do? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank You that You're able. I can't even imagine how You do the things You do or the things You did moving a sea uh, and the rivers and stopping enemies and closing mouths of lions. And Heavenly Father, in each of those crisis situations, You did something that the person 
and groups of people couldn't do Heavenly Father. We don't know how you do that. But we know we can't do those things and we need you to do those in our lives, Heavenly Father. There are mountains in our way. There's burdens we carry, Heavenly Father, that won't seem to go away. We face sicknesses. We face storms. Our countries face hurricanes and earthquakes in other countries, Heavenly Father, and threats and all these things. We can't do anything to stop. But Heavenly Father, we can trust you.